All right, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight. Um, thank you for coming out and braving the uh, intense weather. Um, <laughs> apparently, I, I got a notification saying something about uh, that there's the possibility of greater thunderstorms and uh, funnel clouds and things like that. And I'm just like, <sighs> until you've lived in the Midwest, like Kansas, whenever you say the word funnel cloud, it really doesn't mean a lot out here. Um, you know, you knock over some garbage cans and lift a trampoline and call it good. Um, but over there, you know, you, you mentioned funnel cloud to somebody that came from Wichita and immediately you will see them, you know, looking at the sky, like where, where, where? Cause those things are uh, a little more intense, but I guess, uh, up north of us, they got hit a, quite a bit harder. Uh, Griffey's were saying it was pretty bad and, uh, I guess, uh, Seattle got flooded, um, and that's what I said uh, should have been of a biblical proportion, kind of <laughs> clean the place up a little bit, you know. But um, let's go ahead and uh, open with a word of prayer. Uh, we'll get into uh, the the um, uh, book of First John here in just a moment, but uh, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time that you have given to us tonight to come and study your word, and I uh, pray, Lord, that it would be a time of uh, blessing and encouragement um, uh, for what you give to us here. Uh, Lord, uh, how you would uh, just purpose to take time to uh, write to us, to, to, to preserve your word. And Lord, again, I just thank you for all that you've done for us. And I thank you for um, giving us the Bible that we can read and we can know your ways and your will uh, what you want us to do in our Christian life and how we're supposed to live it. I pray, Lord, that tonight we would take these things, we'd apply them to our lives, we'd be encouraged by it, uh, we'd be edified and desire more and more fellowship with you daily as well as with other believers. Thank you again for those that are here and pray for those that uh, may still be on roads uh, driving, that, Lord, you just uh, keep them safe as they uh, go back and forth. But uh, again, Lord, I just uh, thank you for this time. This I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week we left off uh, right around there in verse 4. Um, we were talking a little bit about uh, the fellowship and uh, one of the important parts of that, uh, that uh, the word of God is necessary for joy and uh, what bonds us together as believers um, and, uh, what, uh, the apostles and disciples had seen, uh, they were communicating, uh, one to another. And again, as he says, the reason why they're declaring it to, um, these, the recipient of this letter is so that they would have fellowship with them and bring it together. And again, the, the way that our fellowship works is it's centered around God. Um, people will try to have fellowship around other things. Um, you know, sometimes people specifically, you know, Baptist denomination, they think that if it's, if there's no food, there's no fellowship. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Um, fellowship involves, you know, the Lord being there and you can't really have fellowship if God is not present. Uh, if uh, God is not part of the conversation. And he says uh, in verse uh, verse 3, he says, That's which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye may also have fellowship with us. 
And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And again, he makes that connection that, 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 that he has to be involved. If he's not involved in that, then that fellowship is not going to exist. And he says in verse 4, these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. And we talked very briefly about this. But I want us to understand something about this, because as I said, it shows up about 10 times in in this book, uh, talking about things that are written. And again, you have John, who is uh, the second most prolific writer of the New Testament. Paul obviously has the corner of the market on that one with uh, 12 books that we know of for sure, and obviously references to others that he's written, other letters. But what we find here is we find five that uh, specifically John wrote, the Gospel of John, the three letters, and then the book of Revelation. But here we are looking at this, and he has a purpose behind why he's writing. And and I and I want to point this out, that that when somebody writes something there is a reason behind it uh in today's day and age we obviously take a lot of the things that are written we 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 kind of disregard it uh how many of us have actually read the privacy policies when we go to our doctors how many of us have actually read the terms and conditions of agreements when we we download a new app on our phone uh or we 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 click you know accept all cookies and uh, again, we're not talking about real cookies here, because if we're accepting all cookies, there's a few limitations. There's some bad cookies out there, just letting you know. But, <laughs> but you know, there's all these things, and people just don't read stuff anymore. People don't read contracts. They don't read agreements. Uh, they don't read books much anymore. Um, it all comes down to experiential, uh, um, uh, you know, if you will, experiences and, and what those uh, pertain to the individual, um, that has more validity than anything that is written. And we know that things that are written can be changed and are frequently changed. History books change frequently, uh, you know, upon the discovery of certain things. But sometimes people just want to rewrite history just for the sake of rewriting history uh, to, well, basically fit their agenda. But what we find here is we find that when God writes, he writes for a purpose. Here we see that the the purpose behind the writing here is that there would be joy. And not just joy, but full of joy. Joyful. Let's take a look at a couple other passages. And and if you go over to the book of John, uh, the, the gospel of John, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, um, in verse 30, I want to point this out. It says, and many other signs truly did Jesus, uh, did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. He, he makes it, he says, there's stuff that I haven't included in here. He says, but these, the stuff that we have here that he has, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. 
purpose behind the, 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 the writing of why we have the Bible itself, John explains right here. It's for salvation. It's so that people can trust Christ as their Savior. It's so that they don't have to go to a devil's hell. They, they, they don't have to stand in the condemnation. They don't have to stand in judgment. That's been taken care of on the cross. He says all these things are written is so that, that you would believe. That's why it becomes important about the word of God, if you will, as the, the, um, the, the main catalyst for faith, to drive faith, to grow faith. And it comes from the word of God. Take a look at another passage, uh, and again, just, just to kind of point something out here in verse 25 of the next chapter, chapter 21. Just to, to uh, verse 24, it says, This is the disciple which testifieth of these things, and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. That's a lot of books. That's a lot of books. People have said, well, that's an exaggeration. Well, I don't think it is. How are you going to write down the mind of God? How are you going to write down all of the things that he's done? How are you going to write down all of the things that he thought? uh, And and it reveals some of his thoughts. It reveals some of his sayings. I mean, if we were to write all of that down, John's saying, I I don't think we could even, we don't have enough paper. (laughs) We can't do that. Go to another passage. Let's go over to the book of Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 15. So we find one of the purposes behind why God writes things down for us is salvation, first and foremost. In Romans chapter 15 and in verse 4, he says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, and he's talking about the things that were written before he wrote the book of Romans, for what is, however, things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. One of the purposes behind the written word of God, and this is why it becomes so important, uh, the written word of God is that we would have hope. People don't get hope. If there were, I mean, there would be no hope if there was no Bible. There, there would be no uh, um, hope of, of eternal life. There would be no hope from salvation of sins. Uh, our, our, our lives would generally be absolutely worthless. But here he says, all the stuff that's written in the Old Testament, number one, is written for the purpose of learning. Now, this is an important concept to understand, and we're not going to go too much into this because it's kind of a little bit of a bunny trail, but the way that hope works is through the learning process. Hope is not just, again, something like, you know, people think about faith, some sort of, if you will, fanciful thing that just kind of shows up like fairy dust, and you sprinkle it around in your life, and all of a sudden everything is great. That's not hope. Hope comes from the learning experiences. 
Now, some of them, these learning experiences, we don't have to experience ourselves. Praise God. I don't have to wander around 40 years in the wilderness to understand that God meant what he said when he said, don't tempt me. I, I, I don't have to experience uh, fiery serpents because I grumble and moan and complain. All of these things were written, as he says here, uh, uh, for our learning. The Old Testament is a good place to learn, to learn about God, to learn about his plan, to learn about uh, uh, why people do the things that people do, uh, or the consequences of actions, all of those things. I mean, the Old Testament is just chock full of it. And he says those things were written for a reason, for a purpose. God had them penned so that you would learn something, so that you could have hope. So that you could have hope in your life. Hope is something that has to be learned. Again, John covers and tackles the subject of love. People have this, you know, kind of these weird ideas about what they think love is. And, and, and John just points it out and says, no, love, God is love. You want the definition of, of love? Well, then you need to know God. If you don't know God, you're not going to know real love. And you, you hear, you know, the same situation. Paul's saying, look, you don't know anything about the scriptures. You don't know anything about the Old Testament. You're going to have a lot of uh, uh, issues with hope. One of the key things that whenever, you know, somebody comes to you and they're seeking counsel for their life, you may say, well, I'm not a counselor. Well, you kind of sort of are. If you have the hope and you have the scriptural knowledge, uh, you don't hide it, okay? You freely dispense it. And one of the key things that people, you know, that is reinforced when it comes to counseling is this, make sure that when the person or persons walk away from the conversation that you're counseling them with, that they walk away with hope. Don't, don't leave them hopeless. Somebody will come sit down into my office and maybe they're having a marital issue. Maybe they're having a personal problem. Maybe they're struggling with sin. Maybe they're, they're having emotional issues and thought issues that they, they can't seem to, to, to get a hold of. You, you don't walk in there and you know, have them sit down and just listen to them and go, Oh yeah, man, your life is awful. Well, I guess we're out of time. So, um, uh, I'll see you maybe next week. No. You give them purpose. You give them something to do. You give them homework. You give them all of these things from Scripture. But above all, from Scripture, what you give them is you give them hope. You look at them and say, okay, I, I, I you know, I understand we've got these problems here, and we're going to dismantle them piece by piece. We're going to get to the root cause of all of them. But I want you to understand this is fixable. Because generally when people sit down in, 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 a, in a pastor's office, it's usually the last resort and they have, you know, fragged their life with so many grenades that it's not even funny. And they think it's non-repairable. They think that it's not possible. 
point to the examples. Uh, Paul. Paul destroyed his life. He destroyed his life going after those things that we saw over there in Philippians 3. Being the best of the best of the best. All in the flesh. With zeal for God persecuting the church. He ruined his life. Uh, just again, just just my opinion, my hypothesis. Uh, I believe that that was his thorn. You, you don't walk away from torturing and killing people and walk away feeling really good about yourself. Even if you're so zealous that you think you're doing it for God. Another human being torturing another human being, unless you're a complete, total disconnect sociopath and psychopath, um, messes with your mind. It leaves an impression. I think Paul wrestled with that. People will say, well, it was he, he had a bad limp or his eyes were bad or it was, he was balding or whatever it may be. Whatever it is, I tell you, that passage is written in such a way that you can fit anything in there. God wrote it that way for a reason. But I'll tell you this, Paul's life wasn't hopeless, was it? No, because when he met Jesus Christ, things changed. And you need to give that hope to people. That's why the word of God becomes so important. You cannot give a person hope if you do not give them scripture. If you give them your opinion, it's not worth the paper that it would be written on. Because, let's face it, your opinion changes. Sometimes it changes as much as we change our socks. Hopefully you change those daily, but, you know, you never know. They change. They change. But things that are written in this word are written for the purpose of hope. They're written for learning. They're written for learning. Let's go over and take a look at another uh, uh, passage about the purpose of why things are being written and go over to 1 Corinthians this time. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I want you to take a look at verse 11 here. Uh, what does he say? He says, now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the end of, ends of the world are come. Now all of these things he, he says here, the, the, these are in samples. These are things that you can look at and go, maybe I shouldn't do that. And it's an admonishment for us to do that which is right. The things that are written in this book are written so that we would know what to do and know how to do it the right way according to God. He admonishes us to do those things. He wants us to do those things. He's going to encourage us to do it. And as we read uh, this morning, he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And it's all contained here in this book. And he makes it very clear. He says, this stuff is written 
to admonish you to do what is right. To admonish you to see what happens when you don't do it what is right. Again, it's part of the learning process, but this time it's the encouraging part. It's the continual, you need to do that, you need to do that, you need to do that. Raising children, sometimes you need to admonish them. Did you clean your room? No, go clean your room. You're admonishing them. You want them to do what is right. You're trying to get them to to do the correct thing. And the same here, we, we see with what God has put down for us, that why they're written is they're written for our admonishment. Our admonishment. Let's take a look at another passage, and this time let's go back over to the book of 1 John in chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and, and like I said, there's many times he's written things in here about writing. And, you know, obviously in chapter 2 and verse 1, he says that he writes unto them that they would sin not. And that's another part of it. And I'm not going to go through all the ones in the book of John, uh, but I want us to see this one um, again very clearly in verse 13 of 1 John chapter 5. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, he clarifies who he's writing to. He's writing to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to believers. And as he's writing to believers, he's writing for a certain purpose, and that purpose is that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. I think one of the most challenging questions you can ever ask a person is, what percentage are you sure that you will go to heaven when you die? It's one of those things that you do when you're out soul winning or talking to somebody. You ask them that question. What percentage? Some people will go, oh man, 50-50. They don't know. Some people will be like, Zero percent. Because they know that they are going to hell. And some people actually want to go there, which is scary. They don't understand it then. But a believer should say, I 100% know. I believe, I believe on the name of the Son of God. I trusted him as my savior. I am cleansed. I am washed in his blood. I have a home in heaven. There is a new life that is in me. I 100% believe that. Can't take it away from me. Can hook me up to a car battery all day long and try to get it out of me, but it's going to be probably even more convinced at the end of that. But I'll tell you this, what we find here is he says that you may know. And I've talked to people that profess to be believers. And they'll say, oh man, mm, you know, 20% chance that I'm not. So I'm 80% sure. And somebody will say, well, I'm 99.9% sure because I don't want to believe 100% in anything. Well, that means you don't trust God. Now, wait a second. That's not what I said. No, that's what you said. That's what that equates to. You don't believe that God can preserve your salvation. You don't believe that when he says, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
You don't believe that. There's a shred of doubt in there. Well, we go over to James and we see what happens when there's a shred of doubt when we were talking about the double-minded uh, man that wavers in unbelief, lack of faith. And what God says is he says, I've written this so that you would know. Not so that you would think maybe there's a possibility, but so that we would be 100% assured of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, again, this is the purpose that he has for writing these things to not only these believers, but to us. If you go over, go over to Psalm 12. I, I don't want to get too much off of a, on a bunny trail here, but, but I want to point this out. In Psalm chapter 12, and if you've ever read Psalm 12, it's a pretty straightforward um, description at the end of the chapter about God's word. And he, he, he says here in Psalm chapter 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. They're not corrupt. They're not filled with the, uh, 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 political promises, okay? They're filled with truth. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Now, that becomes an important part when you start taking a look at uh, the foundation of, of Scripture and the King James Bible itself. Purification process. People start going on about manuscripts and Greek manuscripts and this and the Masoretic and the Byzantine. And then, you know, after a while, you're just like, you glaze over. Why? Because it's all theological stuff talking about whatever else. Uh, look, I, it's in print. I'm going to believe it from the word of God. You're like, well, well, shouldn't you know all those things? I don't need to know how to speak ancient Hebrew, Aramaic, or Kony Greek to understand that God's word is pure. And he's trying it in a silver, or as silver in a furnace of earth. What did he use? He used men to bring forth a Bible that everybody could have. And when that occurred, what did you see happen? You saw an explosion of people learning, an explosion of people growing, an explosion of all sorts of things. They're coming out of the dark ages when, when the word of God was kept under lock and key by, by religious people. You had to know Latin to, 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 to read it. You had to know those languages. And God uses 49 men for the purpose of bringing this forth. And these guys, these guys were not stupid individuals. The one that was of the lesser degree, I mean, what, he spoke, what, seven different languages? Man, some of us are still struggling with English. And these guys spoke these languages and wrote them fluently. And they put it all together. Well, you know, we've got all this stuff. No, 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 no. He purified it. We either believe that God's going to purify his word or not. People will say, well, there's errors in the Bible. No, there are not. There are things that are written in there for the purpose that we would study. There's a king. That's over there, it says in, uh, in uh, the book of Kings, 
it says, uh, Second Kings, it talks about how, um, I think it was, uh, uh, 44 years, or no, 42 years that he reigned. But over in Second Chronicles, it talks about he only reigned 22 years. Well, what's the difference? And people say, see, there's an error. No, go back and read the text and read the context around it, and you find he was co-regent with his father for 20 years. So he did reign, but he reigned separately on his own for 22, but he reigned total 42. People don't understand it. People people would rather just assume that there's errors because they assume there's errors in everything. But there are no errors in the word of God. He says, the words of the Lord are pure words as the silver, or as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. He's going to keep them and preserve them. It's always going to be. God is going to take care of it. Why, why is it that, 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 that man hates this book so much? Because it reveals exactly his place. And man wants to be higher than that. Man has the Luciferian, uh, if you will, mindset of, I will be above God, or I will be God. And what we find is, is we find that the word is written to show that's not the case. We're created, and the creature can never be greater than the creator. The creature can never be greater than the creator. But all of these things are written down for the purpose that, that, that as he says here, that our joy may be full. And, and he's writing this because he's going to demonstrate how we can have this joy. And one of the biggest areas that people struggle with, with joy is, and I'll tell you, the thing that robs joy and kills joy is bitterness. Grudging. Having hateful thoughts. That will, that will quench joy quicker than anything. You'll see somebody all happy and then you mention their arch nemesis and watch their visage change. Watch them go from being all, you know, jovial smiles to just this pure utter hate. Somebody flips a switch in just a matter of minutes that occurs. But he says, I want you to be full of joy. These things are penned for this reason. And here's how you're going to get it. Now, again, you go back over to the fruit of the spirit and you find joy comes after the first part, which is love, which is what this book, the central theme is about. Demonstrating not only the love of God towards us, but how we are supposed to demonstrate that love of God towards others. And he says here in in verse 5, as he begins to move through this passage, or as we move through this passage, he says in verse 5 in uh, John, uh, 1 John chapter 1, then this is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And we find that as he begins to establish this thought process of love, he has to begin to establish, okay, what is truth? What is truth and what is lie? And it comes down to this this major understanding of who God is and who we are. Years ago, there was a program called Evangelism Explosion. And it was a method of going out and telling people about Jesus Christ. And that's kind of one of the programs that uh, when it comes to witnessing that I cut my teeth on and I kind of use a lot of the principles that are there. Now, again, you don't have to use it. It's not the only way to use it. Some people use the Romans road. Some people go straight from the book of John. Some people go, you know, uh, in various different ways. Okay. There is no one specific way to do it. You're just using the word of God as the Holy Spirit leads you. Okay. That's got to be the thing. If you stick with a program and you stick with a certain regimen, you're going to, you're going to, you're sticking with something that isn't biblical. You might have biblical verses that are there, but you're sticking with something that was created by man. Oh, this is the program that works. And this is the program that works. It's like a diet. Some diets work for some people. Some don't. Some people think, oh, okay, you know, the keto diet's the way to go. It harms them. Some people, you know, Atkins is the way to go. Some people, they have the Mediterranean diet. Some people have the Bible diet. I only eat things that are listed in the Bible. Okay. It's a lot of lamb. That's all I'm going to say. A lot of lamb, a lot of beef, no chicken. You don't see a lot of chicken in scripture. But, you know, again, what you wind up seeing here is you see that certain people respond different ways because they have different metabolisms. I'll say the same thing. When it comes to witnessing to people, they're going to respond different ways because of the circumstances and the, the things of the past that have affected them in their life. So you have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to uh, really listen to the, to, to the Holy Spirit and engage and say, okay, well, here, here's what the Bible says about that. Here's what the Bible says here. Here's what the Bible says about salvation. And one of the key things with the evangelism, evangelism explosion is it started off with is who is man and who is God? And it starts off with man is a sinner. And that's the way that John starts it off. He starts it off and he says, look, we've got a sin problem. We've got to get taken care of. And if we're going to deny it, then we're not going to be able to have fellowship with God. How can you have fellowship with a holy and righteous God and say, I want to bring my sin along with me? That's like bringing a grizzly bear to Thanksgiving dinner. Somebody's going to get hurt or ate or mauled. (laughs) It's just going to be a mess. It's not, it's not, it doesn't work. You can't do that with God. You can't have fellowship with him. Sin effectively cuts that off. Sin is a destroyer, as we talked about this morning, and it destroys relationships. And and the key important part about relationships is the fellowship part. You can't have a good relationship if there's no fellowship. 
That's like saying you've got a, 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 a relationship with President Biden. You may have a relationship with President Biden. Interestingly enough, uh, the guy up at uh, Faith Baptist Church that was up there, uh, Pastor Ryman, uh, you know what state he's from? Delaware. You know who he has personally had an opportunity to witness to? Our President of the United States. That's okay. And he's rejected it. President Biden isn't trusting Jesus Christ as his Savior. He's a lost man and he's going to die and go to a devil's hell. Unless he turns to Christ. And that's a sad thing. It's a sad thing to know that here he is. Uh, you know, very much aged, maybe not having a lot of time left on the face of this earth. There's not a lot of time left for him to trust Christ. But I'll tell you this, I've seen 80-year-olds get saved. Chris Hendricks' dad, Doug, led him to the Lord right there on that fr- those front seats right there. Well-aged. Well-aged. But he knew he needed Jesus. He knew. But I'll tell you this. We we look at what he's talking about here, and he's talking about all of this fellowship. He's talking about how we go about doing this. And he says, look, you know, first thing is, is you got to check your walk. So let's take a look here in verse uh, 5. He says, then this is the message. He's giving a communication of truth. He's teaching here. He's giving a doctrinal principle. And he says, here's the doctrine. Here's the principle. And this is what he says, and declare unto you. He's like, I want to make this clear. This is the message. This is what we are saying is true. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Now that has to be understood because we have to understand the concept that God is holy and there is no sin in him. At all. At all. People today try to, to, to put God in a human form and, and try to put him into a mentality of, of that he is sinful. That he makes mistakes. That he goes, oh, whoops, shouldn't have done that. That's not God. There is no darkness in him. All of it is light. Now, this becomes an important principle because, again, what we find in the book of 1 John, is, as I mentioned this morning over in chapter 5 and verse 7, is the doctrine of the Trinity that John reaffirms. And he reaffirms it here in this specific verse, chapter 1, verse 5. And how does he do it? By saying God is light. Go over to John chapter 1. Let's go over to the Gospel of John. little rudimentary tonight in, in this regard, but it's important for us to see this connection that John has, excuse me, that John makes. In verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. In John chapter 1, in verse 6, he's talking about a man by the name of John, not himself. 
He's referring to the individual known as John the Baptist. And no, he was not the founder of the Baptist church. Let's just clarify that, okay? He was not the founder of the Baptist church. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's the same message that Jesus Christ preached. He didn't preach that the kingdom of God was at hand all the time. He said kingdom of heaven. And the reason why is because the kingdom was being offered to the nation of Israel. I digress. But it says here there was a man sent from God uh, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. What do you notice about that word light? Capitalized. Hopefully it's capitalized in your Bible. If it's not, get a new one. It says to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Not through John, but through the light. He was not that light. The apostle John goes on to clarify. He says, John the Baptist was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. Well, who is he sent to bear witness for? Who is he supposed to go out and cry in the wilderness about? Who is the one that he was a forerunner for? Jesus Christ himself. That was the true light, which lighted every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Well, who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. This whole passage, he goes through and talks about this, and he's referring to Jesus Christ by two of his names, Word and Light. Word and Light. And this is where it becomes important because he says, God is light. Just as he said here, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He's saying, God is the word. And now God is the light. He's making the parallel connection saying, Jesus Christ is God. You take these two verses and you, you you pair them together and you begin to realize that what the principle that John's teaching here is one of the most important principles that people have to understand. Who Jesus Christ is. Again, going back to where people will say, well, I, I've always believed in God. Okay, well, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with the Son of God? Are you going to reject Him or are you going to receive Him? Back over there, it says that his own received him not. But as many as receive him, they're called what? Sons of God. Those that receive and believe are called sons of God. You are, and that's part of one of the, if you will, one of the elements under the the umbrella term of salvation is adoption. Under that word salvation, you've got so many different uh, terms in there. You start pulling each one of those individual things out, and you will destroy the doctrine of salvation. Uh, you know, people will pull out predestination, ordination, election, uh, foreknowledge, uh, uh, all of those things, and, and just destroy what salvation's all about. But one of the key things that you find in there with justification, redemption, sanctification, uh, um, uh, all, all those T-I-O-N words, if you will, 
Uh, all those things that are there is you find adoption as being one of them. We are now in God's family. You're an heir. You're in the will, so to speak. There's, there's something that has changed. And he makes that clear as he says uh, uh, over there in John chapter 1. Uh, it says in verse 12, But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of God, or excuse me, nor the will of man, but of God. It wasn't man's doing that brought that about. It was God that brought that about. The adoption part. And he makes it clear, going back over to First John chapter 1, in verse 5, he says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, this is an important principle. Let's go over to a couple of passages. Let's go over to Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter 18. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 18, and uh, verse 28. I like this verse. For thou will light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Where were we before we were trusting Christ as our Savior? We were walking around in darkness. Death. People portray death. How do they portray death? Dark. They portray it with darkness. Shadows. Things that that creep people out. People sometimes get afraid of the dark. When I was younger, I I was terrified of the dark. And the reason I was terrified of the dark is because I got a hold of a book at a young age. Uh, It was not quite age-appropriate material for for me at that time uh, that was talking about aliens and alien abduction. Yeah. So I slept with a nightlight for a long time. Because I was afraid I was going to get abducted by aliens. Yeah. Not your normal kid, okay? I'm just going to say. But here, I love this part where he says that God is going to enlighten my darkness. You know, there are things that are dark. Over in the book of Proverbs, Solomon calls the Proverbs dark sayings. Why does he call it dark sayings? Is it because they're bad or they're evil? No. It's they're dark because they need to be searched out. You ever try to find something in the dark? It's difficult to do. What do you need? You need a light. You need to be able to find your way. You need to be able to to figure out where it is. Trying to search for something in the dark is almost impossible. You're on your knees, hands and knees, you know, pawing around at the ground or pawing around wherever it may be, uh, hoping that you're going to find it. 
But when we look at the dark sayings that are there, what God is trying to tell us is they're dark, which means you need some light. You need some enlightenment. You need the Holy Spirit to teach you from the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs isn't just about common sense. Book of Proverbs isn't just about the physical things. Because every one of those physical things has a very spiritual parallel next to it. And you have to search it out. So what is Solomon saying? Solomon's saying, it's deep. You want one of the deepest books of the Bible? The book of Proverbs. Yeah, face value, you can read it. You get a lot from it. There's a lot of great things you can get. But I guarantee you, you read it a little bit further and you start applying scriptural principles. You start digging a little bit further into those dark sayings and you find a whole new layer to the book. But it requires God to show you the light. Here he says, thou will light my candle. Turn over to Psalm 112. Psalm 112 and take a look at uh, verse uh, 14. Psalm 112, verse 14. There is no verse 14. How about verse 4? Let's try that. Can't tell the difference between a one and a colon on my notes. It says, under the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. Somebody that is seeking to do what is right, God is going to reveal light to them. It's the way God obligates himself. He will show people. If they really want to know him, he will reveal himself. He will will show it. He'll send missionaries. He'll do whatever, uh, uh, um, you know, put people in people's lives uh, and uh, circumstances, whatever it may be. If they're truly seeking him, he will, he will reveal. And here it is, you know, he's saying the individual that chooses to do the upright, you know what? There's going to be more and more light. There's going to be more and more light. And that's an important principle for us to understand, you know, when it comes to us walking upright. Turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. This time, verse 12. Psalm chapter 139. These pages are sticking together. 139 and verse 12, it says, Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Now I'm pointing this out that it doesn't make a difference to God. He can see things in the light and he can see things in the day. There's no difference to him. Light and dark, no difference. But for us, there's a huge difference. So he has made himself into light, if you will, to demonstrate. What's the very first thing he created? Light. Yeah, there was a ball that was there. That was it. 
But he said when it came to that ball, he said, let there be light. And there was no light source except for him. There was no light source except for him. So darkness was upon the face of the deep. God turned the light on, but it was him. There was no sun yet. There was no moon. There was no LED bulbs. There was just God. Jesus Christ. Who is the light? Who is the light? And we find here that as he's going through this, he's saying, look, uh, I want to establish this, this principle, this doctrine, that there is no darkness in God. There's nothing that's there that is going to be, be, be wrong, be evil in that regards. It's going to be righteousness. It's going to be light. It's going to be holiness with God. And he wants to establish that because as he gets into this, he, he, in the next verse, he says in verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. He says, look, here's the situation. Sometimes we say we're in the light, but we're not. Sometimes there's evil in our heart. Sometimes there's hate in our heart. Sometimes there's bitterness in our heart. A lot of Christians, if you were to ask them, well, how, how, how's your relationship with the Lord? How's your relationship with God? You know what some people are going to do? Oh, they're going to say, oh, it's fine. It's fine. There's, there's no problems with it. But come to find out, there usually is. There's something that is hindering fellowship. There's something that is that's blocking there. There's there's a form of darkness that's in their heart. The light hasn't shined in every aspect of their life and in their heart. They may be holding on to something. They may be uh, uh, trying to conceal something. They may be something, if you will, in the closet of their heart that they haven't, that they're not letting God into. And he says this right here. He says, look, we can't say we have fellowship with God and turn around and walk contrary to that light. We can't say, oh, I'm in the light and then turn around and close our eyes and try to have a, a walk that pleases the Lord. You ever try to walk a straight line with your eyes closed? That's tough to do. It's tough to do. You ever try to walk a straight line in complete total darkness? It's tough to do. And most of the time we think we're walking in a straight line, but then when we open our eyes, we find that we're far deviated from the course. And here he's making this connection. He's saying, look, God is light. There's no darkness with him. God expects us to have no darkness in us. We can't say that we love the Lord and turn around and do something that is contrary to the love of God. We can't say we love him and do something that's contrary to his will or to his word. 
We can't say I'm walking with the Lord and walk in a different path than the path that he is on, the path that he has lit for us. The one that is that is lit along the way, and he says, this is the path to go. And then somebody says, no, I decide I'm going to go ahead and walk through those blackberry bushes over there in the dark. Well, you're not going to be fellowshipping with God if you're doing that. Why? Because he's not on that path. He's not in that way. It's contrary to him. And this is what John is getting at. And he's wanting to reaffirm this. Now, again, this becomes very critical for all believers. And I believe with my whole heart that this is very critical for believers that are going to be after us. Do you know how hard it's going to be to, 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 to demonstrate and show the love of God during the tribulation period? Yet you're required to. How are you going to do that? When you actively have people wanting to kill you, some of which may even be your own family members, as, as Christ points out. And those saints are going to have a tough go of it, aren't they? They're going to have a difficult time. The book of Hebrews, as we read this morning, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together, as a matter of you know, as, uh, as a matter of some, uh, I'm, yeah, I just butchered it. There we go. But you know, assembling, he says, I still expect you to go to church in the tribulation period. Um, <laughs> read Revelation. It's not going to be pleasant. But here he's saying, look, if you have fellowship with God, you'll be able to do this. And he points this out here very clearly. He says, our fellowship with the Lord requires the right kind of walk. Because he says, if, if we say we have fellowship and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. This is lie versus truth. This is words versus walk. The Pharisees as we pointed out. The Pharisees were doing everything on the outside, but on the inside, they weren't anywhere near God. As, as, as Jesus Christ points out, as the Lord points out in other areas of Scripture, he says, they say they love me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And here he's saying the same thing. He says, as believers, as individuals that have seen and, and know who Jesus Christ is, and we can clearly see who he is in light of the word of God, in light of what is written, uh, why in the world would we walk contrary? Why would we choose to walk in the flesh? Why would we choose to walk in darkness when he's going to give us that lighted path? The Bible says very clearly, word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And he begins to reinforce the importance of the written word over and over and over and over again. John says these things are written for a reason. So that we know what path we would be on. Next time you get on a plane, 
just imagine what it would be like if the pilot was trying to land the plane without any lights, without knowing where the runway is, doing it in the dark. Would you get on the plane? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I know that there's men and women in the armed forces that do. Praise God for them. But I'll tell you this, that's a that's a scary thing. Why in the world would we choose to walk anywhere different other than the lighted path God has laid out for us in Scripture? And he says, look, if you don't do that, you you're, you're lying about that fellowship. You're not as close as you think you are. So we have to be careful. We'll find out more about this walk and this fellowship, Lord willing, next week uh, as we continue in uh, the book. But uh, just, you know, again, just to think about this and just think about what we say and what we do, what we think in our hearts and what the actuality is. If there's a difference between the two, there's something that is wrong. And praise God for verse 9 where he says, if we confess it, we can get it taken care of. We can get it taken care of. We can restore that fellowship. But we'll talk more about that, Lord willing, next week. Let's go ahead and dismiss with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for those that are here tonight. And I pray, Lord, that as we've studied this and as we've learned the uh, important principles of who you are and uh, the important principles of establishing fellowship and a walk that is in truth and is in light with you, that, Lord, we would take and apply them throughout this week that, uh, Lord, we would seek to make sure that we are self-examining, that we are looking on a constant basis, making sure that what we say and what we say in our hearts specifically and what we're doing matches and is truthful. Lord, again, I just thank you for all that you've given to us in your word. pray you take us home safely tonight and continue to be through it with us throughout this week to give us encouragement and edification and Lord, uh, just just receive the blessings from your word and your Holy Spirit as we get into your word, as we pray, and as we fellowship one with another. And again, Lord, I thank you for all that you've done. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.